The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to talk about Austin FC's scoreless draw against the Seattle Sounders, and we're also going to talk to Chris Bills about his recent interview with Austin FC Sporting Director Claudio Reyna. I'm Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley. I don't think I've ever told this story on the show, Jeremiah, but have I ever told you where our theme song came from? The theme songs, or the two songs that we use for the show? Yeah, I know a little bit about it. You've told me once before, but uh, I think you should probably tell everybody about it. I think it's kind of a fun story. So I played, um, I played in like a country rock and roll band when I was living up in Lubbock, Texas, uh, was in college. And we, we did some traveling, and then whenever bigger bands would come through town, we'd get opening spots for them and stuff like that. And this band called Sons of Fathers, uh, who wrote and recorded the songs that we use for the show, um, they came through Lubbock and we opened for them and they're fantastic, really great band. Uh, David Beck, the guy who plays, uh, he played bass and was one of the, the lead singers for Sons of Fathers. His bass like fell apart. It like exploded on stage. It was an upright bass, not an electric bass. Uh-huh. And it like fell apart during the set. And so he had to finish the rest of their set using our bassist electric bass. And uh, that was just always like a funny story that stood out. But then the next time they came through town, um, I was like, oh, these guys are fantastic. And I took a bunch of friends to go see them. And so I took uh, my two roommates and some other friends all went and I I had to work the next morning. So I like left early. But then uh, one of my roommates comes home and I was like, hey, where's Taylor, the the other roommate? He's like, oh, he was, uh, he stayed back and was like drinking with the band after the show. And they had just lost their sound guy and were looking for a sound guy. And Taylor worked as a, like a live sound engineer. And he's like, I'm a sound guy. And he's like, uh, what are you doing for the next three weeks? And he's like, nothing. And he's like, all right. And he just like got in their tour van with them and left. <laughs> just took off like le- like leaving to join the circus basically right yeah he did. essentially yeah and so he joined sons of fathers and went on a little a little trip with them for a few weeks and then came back packed a bag was like moving to austin and then <laughs> that was and then we just like didn't see him again <laughs> that was it for wow but sons of fathers stole stole my roommate um anyway <laughs> uh whenever we started the independent podcast I was looking for Central Texas artists, um, maybe ones I had a connection to, and then also bands that didn't exist anymore, so they wouldn't come after me for any <laughs> licensing things. Uh, and I, I thought of Sons of Fathers, and was like, oh, this is great. Um, so anyway, last night at the watch party at Luster Pearl, I'm kind of walking around after the game, and no, oh, this is at halftime, walking around at halftime, go get a drink, run to the bathroom, whatever, and I look up, and who's standing there? But David Beck, the guy who wrote the songs that we use for the podcast. And so I was like, no way. And so I went up and was like, hey, are you David Beck? And he's like, yeah, I am. And he's like, you're not going to remember who I am, but I have a few stories that you'll remember. And we got to kind of like talk about them stealing my roommate in the middle of the night and all that. And it was was a lot of fun. But I I thought that was a a fun story to share. (laughs) 
Did you tell him that we were using the song on the podcast? I did. Yeah. He, he and gave he's, his blessing. Is he cool? Okay, yeah. good. I thought maybe this is going to turn into like, and this is why we have a new intro song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah next week we'll have a new song. <laughs> no, yeah, he's totally cool with it. So we're going to keep using it, which I'm very happy with because I like the songs we use. Yeah, it's super, yeah, they're they're super catchy. I like it. I remember uh, I think when you were going through them and sort of picking them, I was like with my kids playing Pokemon Go and like listening to like Sons of Father songs, uh, like on on my on my other phone <laughs> to approve. It was great. All right, let's talk about some soccer. So Austin FC tied with uh, the Seattle Sounders last night. Uh, it was. I know a tie in theory doesn't necessarily sound like the most exciting game or the most exciting result, but it was a pretty fun game to watch. And I think Austin fans are all pretty darn happy with that result. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a nervous, we'll get into it, but you know, I felt really like we were kind of dominated in the first half, but man, by the, you know, by the time the second half rolled around, I mean, I felt like we were getting, you know, we were getting good chances and opportunity. And I mean, we'll get into the details of it, but I felt like there was a lot that was positive to take away. Um, and there's this apparently old MLS saying that I didn't know, like, you know, getting a, averaging a point a game on the road is a good thing to do, uh, which is kind of exactly where we are through this road trip. So I'm going to take that to be the truth um, and say that, that that we're right on track for where we need to be. Yeah. So going into this last game against Kansas City, uh, this last road game against Kansas City, if we get a draw then once again right on track with where we should be if we get a win we're ahead of schedule if we get a loss we're just behind schedule so in any case regardless of how that KC game turns out we're in pretty good shape as as much as it may not feel like that to Austin FC fans or didn't feel like that before last night to Austin FC fans we're actually in pretty good shape right now yeah and I think going into that uh especially just the expectations because if you listen to any show or podcast or read anything, I think there were a lot of people expecting a big blowout against Seattle because of how good it's Seattle. I mean, they're, they're the best team in the league so far, right? Just numerically. So I think the expectations are really, really low. So to not get blown out and exceed that and pick up a draw was just a way better result than most people were thinking we, we should hope to get. Absolutely. So um, a tired team, a little bit injured team because of some of these, these injuries, we weren't sure what... The lineup was going to look like, I think the day of or the day before the game, a social media post pops up on uh, Danny Prayer's Instagram of his foot in a boot. (laughs) And so like, oh, we we didn't know that was happening. But apparently Danny's still in Austin with a boot on his foot right now. Um, Oh, Hey, wait, Landon. You know, there were two people that Josh Wolf talked about during the week being hurt. And it was Danny, which we we which we saw the boot. Johan Romagna was the other one, and he didn't play, but we got to see full on, you know, most handsome boy on the team. I yeah, to say he, it. like he was sending with, a message on Instagram for sure. Exactly the the whole thigh the thigh shot in the game last week that was just a taste of what we got on Instagram during the week this week. It was full on Johan flexing with with short shorts and no shirt on. And I think it was we are Austin TV posted on uh, on Twitter. They retweeted that that photo and said, dang, Johan, we get it. You're not injured. And then it said, Seattle, come outside. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. But yeah, uh, apparently not fit enough to start. He ended up not uh, being in the starting 11. So I guess the changes to the starting 11 on the back line, it was what you'd expect. Uh, but with Cascante in for where Romagna is normally playing, the midfield was Ring, Pochettino, and Fagundes. And in the front three, 
it was a front three that we've seen before. So it was John Gallagher, Cecilia Dominguez, and Jared Stroud. But it was Cecilia Dominguez at the nine as instead of Gallagher. And so Gallagher moved over to the left wing. And so this is something that I think we talked about on the last show and some other people had been saying that they wanted to see. And we finally got a chance to see it. Um, and I think it it worked fairly well, don't you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was the best possible eleven that we could that we could put out there from, and they performed that way from every from every perspective. Um, another question you have here in the narrative leading up to the game is how annoying are the prime blue jerseys? Very, I find them very <laughs> annoying. I mean, it's a fine it's a fine initiative for the league to do, but the fact that everybody does it on the same week, and yes. especially it was on. Saturday during the day when I usually just flip around and watch four games at once and it was so disorienting because there was like the white team and the blue team and they were yeah. all the same and it just it took so long to catch up and if I like flip back and forth the game I would forget who was supposed to be who there's like it just has to be a <laughs> better way game's to execute been on, on for that. eight hours um, yeah, and then what is it what is it Phil said he usually when he's looking for image Phil West when he's looking for images in the MLS archive to use for a game he can just tell by jerseys and that is straight out the window in a week <laughs> like this and on a one-off, if you just look at one of the jerseys, I think the jerseys are pretty cool. I, I really liked the design, but it takes away from, like, it makes it less special when every team has one jersey or the other. And, like, I don't know, like, if Austin had just released that shirt on its own and they were the only teams that had it, I probably would have bought that because I really do like it. But the fact that half the teams in the league also have that same one, and the same thing with those those pride training tops, they're cool, but it's not a special thing. And like every team in the league has the exact same thing with just the crest swapped out. And so I don't know. I, again, I, I understand why it happens. It's all to do with the Adidas contract and them pushing their brand alongside the MLS brand, but uh, it doesn't mean I have to like it. <laughs> That's right. And I guess we did get the good one. Cause Mark Turner pointed out that the whites, I think were like seven, three and three this weekend. So if you're going to get one, you want it to be white and not blue. All right, there you go with the, the hard data there. All right, so jumping into a quick recap of the game. So uh, like you said, the started off a little bit rough. Seattle definitely looked like the uh, the better team at the beginning. I think in the first half, there were probably three decent chances. Um, in the 24th minute, Cecilio took a little dribbling run and then hit a long-distance shot from outside the box that hit it really hard, but it went pretty much straight at the keeper, so not a ton of danger there. Uh, Joel Paolo hit one in the 32nd minute. Uh, it was a loose ball and he one times it again, hits it really hard, but didn't really trouble Stuver too much. And then in the 41st minute, Rui Diaz, um, settles a ball that was coming across the box and kind of settles it wide and kind of turns his back to goal a little bit and then somehow hits it super hard and a very unlikely angle, but um, it was a lot closer than I think anyone expected it to be, but was over the post and didn't really force Stuber to make a save there. So that was kind of it for the first half. Uh, I think six shots apiece in the first half there. Um, in the second half, it looked like Austin maybe made a few changes and started to look a little better. They they looked a lot more dangerous in that second half. Yeah, yeah, we did. I, I think. The possession game was really, really one sided in the first half. I don't remember what it. I think I think we're gonna see, we're gonna talk about it a little bit, but uh, it, it definitely evened up in the second half. And I guess we had our best chance. Um, Diego 
Fagundes deserves a lot of credit because that man ran nonstop all Absolutely. game long, all over the field, and really, especially the second half was pretty creative. He got a ball to uh, Dominguez, who had a had a pretty good shot, but it was it was blocked by Nuhu, which I I can't even think about that guy without thinking about Sam Stagel and it's like <laughs> insane love for him. So as soon as he stopped the ball, I was like, oh, I know how I know how this reaction is going to go. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, within the six yard box or maybe around the edge of the six yard box. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much else Cecilia could have done there. Knew who did a really good job to, to stop it. And it was pretty, pretty close range. So I don't know that he could have done much better there. Um, in the 71st minute, there was another really good chance, which uh, was created by some really good movement from Cecilio. And then a really clever pass from, from Gallagher, which opened up Stroud for a one-on-one -on -one with the keeper in the box. And he ends up, playing it off the keeper's face. I think he probably should have done better there, probably should have scored that one. Uh, but that was a, just a good sign of actually creating some some good chances. Then in the 75th minute, uh, we all thought that the game was over and that <laughs> Seattle was right. probably going to win because uh, Joe Paulo kind of flicks the ball over, I can't remember who's, maybe Lima's head, and then plays it around him. And it kind of... it goes past Rui Diaz and uh was it Beasler that was Beasler on was like sliding yeah 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 it, Rui Diaz yeah, and Beasler both like went to ground sliding for the ball it goes past them and catches Freddie Montero on the back post who slides in and slots it in uh at the back post uh upon review it ended up getting recalled by VAR for being offside so uh, there seemed to be some confusion at the watch party last night and then some disagreement from Seattle Twitter last night. Well, what was that actually expect, offside? Yeah, I feel like it was because it's not just um, this is based on watching the Fox post game show, honestly, because uh, they talked about it a bit too afterwards. I think it was Alexi talked about, you know, it doesn't, I mean, it's just you have to be involved in the play, right? That's the rule. Like, even if you don't, yeah, he definitely I, was. He was definitely offside and he was definitely a factor in that play. So for me, that was the textbook definition of offside. I think what was causing the confusion was that it looked like Beasler probably touched the ball. And so I think a lot of people were saying, like, because the defender touched the ball, then it's not offside. And that's not how the rule works. It's But that, but that's what the announcer said, too. Whoever was calling the game specifically talked about, like, oh, if Beasler touched the ball, then it's not offside, which I think he was just wrong on. That's true in certain circumstances. So in, in that play, had it been Freddie Montero who was offside – and Rui Diaz was onside, and Rui Diaz and, and Beasler go in to challenge for that ball, and Beasler touches it, and it falls to Montero, That the goal would have been allowed. But because it was Rui Diaz who was offside, regardless of if Beasler touches it or touches it or not, um, he interfered in the play and forced the defense to do something from an offside position, therefore making the play uh ineligible essentially and so yeah it, it's if a defender touches it and it falls to a player who was not involved in the play but was offside he can play it and go score but because it was Rui Diaz who was offside who did interfere in the play then it's then that's the rule regardless of if Beasler touched it or not and so I think that's where some of the confusion is but that is the rule and so it was they got the call right there and one of the other things for me that I, th I think kind of backed up the fact that it was the right calls there was not a lot of protests on the field Right, nobody, none, no, none of the, the teams or coaches from Seattle really freaked out in the way that people on Twitter did, which leads me to believe if if they really thought that that it was an onside play, there would have been more of a reaction. 
Right. Yeah. 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 The the players weren't players and coaches weren't really protesting. So, um, I, one of the the strange things. So that that ended up being really the last. Um, the last there there were a few other chances throughout that could have turned into something, but that was the last really big moment of the game. One thing that uh, a lot of people were remarking upon during the game and kind of caught my eye during the rewatch too is Wolf didn't make any subs until the eighty seventh minute, which he's been making subs very early, right? Like a lot of times in the 60th minute or so. And so that was something very interesting. Did, did you have a problem with that? Or do you, do you think of why he was doing that? I'm not sure why. And that, you know, we just talked, I think maybe you thought a couple shows ago when we did uh, like a bunch of Twitter listener questions, you know, there was some talk about how the fact, about how he was um, like subbing too early. So, you know, I can't. I can't imagine it was just. Um, I mean, there was a strategy behind it, but you know, there was some. There were some guys that were worn out, obviously, that I think maybe could have used some substitution, especially at the spots. You know, where we have some cover. I mean, I think Gallagher and Stroud on the wing. You know, that you, I could see a, a a reason for having like Redis and Mane come in and continue that, just like running at guys and creating some trouble. But maybe with the way they were playing and the and the, the they were a really cohesive unit. Maybe he didn't want to break that up and and mix it up in a way he has before. Yeah, I think I think that's probably exactly what it was that they were doing a really good job. It, probably like start to finish the most complete performance Austin FC has put together. Even going back to the, like the Colorado match, the first half was pretty bad in that game. Even though we ended up winning three one, the first half was not good. This game, for the most part, Austin FC was in the game the whole time. There was never a moment where like they're definitely going to lose this game, and so. Yeah, I think it's not broke, so let's not try to fix it. And also, maybe if you had uh, Danny Pereira on the bench to throw in, that would have been an option earlier in the game. If you had another forward you could play, that might have been another option. None of that was the case. We didn't have any of those options. And so, um, yeah, I just it's it's working. Also, I, I think maybe Mane would have been an option to, to give like an offensive spark, but... May I'm not sure if he if Wolf would trust Mane in a defensive role as much because they were doing a lot of defending. He would have given that offensive spark. You're you're probably losing a little bit of that uh, defensive work that um, that Gallagher and Stroud were giving you. So um, yeah, it it was interesting, but at the same time, I think it was maybe the right call and and probably pretty good decision by by Wolf there. So some stats that stood out to me looking back at these. Um, Austin was outpossessed for the first time this season. Uh, and also this was the first game where Seattle has outpossessed their opponent as well. Uh, part of that, I, I think maybe for the most part, Seattle doesn't really want to outpossess their opponents. They've been really dangerous on counterattacks and in transition moments. And so they don't necessarily want to hold on to the ball a lot. I think that's credit to Austin's defense has actually made them turn around and recycle the ball, which they just haven't really done a lot of this season. So it's like, why why keep the ball when we can just knock it upfield and score on the first try? Yeah. Um, only 13 crosses for Austin FC this time. Um, I think it was like 20 some odd last game with only like a 12% connection rate. I think they're connecting in the 20 20 some odd percent with only 13 crosses, which is a much improved 
uh, from last week. 12 shots with three on goal compared to Seattle's 14 shots with only two on goal. Um, the expected goals were equal at 0.7 for both teams. Again, we've been destroyed on in those numbers the last few weeks. And then looking at the the passing network that we've been talking about, again, I don't know that this means anything, but if you're looking, I think the last few games, the number nine has been on a little island on their own. And this time with Cecilio there, there are some pretty dark gray lines going to Cecilio, which means he was connecting in the play and was very involved throughout the course of the game. So um, I think that's another positive, just looking at some of these numbers and and data showing that Austin played a much better game this time. Yeah, and I would think specifically compared to last week, uh, the crossing number and the uh, passing chart made me think about this. You know, they just seem so frustrated, right? And they were they were firing in a bunch of crosses because they didn't seem to have an idea of how to break down Nashville, right. and they played more disciplined and stuck together this time. And in the same way, they really seemed to kind of sort of sit back in and, and play their game. And it was the first time in a few games when I'm like, oh yeah, this is. Like a Josh Wolf, they're like actually playing the ball out of the back and like connecting, you know, with short passes and things like that. So it, it was good to see, but they just seem to have a very different attitude overall um, this week as opposed to last week. And maybe, maybe it's the players, maybe it was whatever they they worked on all week. I mean, I think he gave he talked about it, he gave them a little bit lighter week because they were banged up. I don't know if it was that, but it just seemed like a different team this week. Yeah, and I think it's probably all of the above, right? Um, Alex Ring talked about in the post match press conference about kind of telling telling the team, like we need to fight this week. Like we need to find, we need to be the team we were three or four weeks ago because we haven't been that team for a few matches now. Um, so go out, play for each other, fight. Uh, what, what is the phrase? Uh, be, is it courageous? Is that, is that the word he uses? I th- yeah, I think that's, I think that's the word he uses. And run your ass courage. off. He, he's, there's like a, a word like that, that he uses a lot, which I really like, but um, I think I think they did that. And so I think the fight was there. I think there was some tactical things that were better there. I think just a lot of things were clicking a lot better. One of one of which was Cecilio Dominguez at the nine. I think we mentioned that that chance from Stroud earlier that was created a, a lot from the, the movement of Cecilio just making a dangerous run. He didn't touch the ball in that in that buildup, but it was a dangerous run that pulled the defender out of place that allowed a gap for Stroud to run into that allowed Gallagher a place to pass the ball into. That's something we haven't really seen with, from our, from our forwards so far. So I think that play alone is, is testament to how he was a lot better, but just watching Cecilio throughout the whole game worked super hard, was very involved in the press, uh, was moving around a lot. And like, like, even if he's not touching the ball, those defenders are thinking about him and have to be aware of where he is, as opposed to just someone standing on your shoulder you know they're there and you're not going anywhere. Cecilio was not doing that. He was all over the place. And so I really liked his his energy. Um a lot of a lot of people in Seattle were not a big fan of Cecilio and I think some of the Austin fans are a little bit ticked off at him as well because of his uh some of his antics on the field. So what what did you think of all that, Jeremiah? Well, oh yeah, about his I mean, I don't know if he he didn't. I mean, we have diving in here. I don't feel like he really dove. I feel like he made the most out of yeah. a lot of contact. So That's it's, true. Is what he did. Yeah, I, th- there was contact, and some of them like pretty, pretty substantial contact on a couple of them. But then what happened after that? Yeah, that's that's a good point. He, yeah, he made a meal of of all of them. Didn't <laughs> of he? Yeah, and it was the same. And you know, I guess it's 
there's a track record of this now, right? Because the Minnesota folks that you visited, uh, I think, had the, sort of the same opinion about him, right? A lot of the same, a lot of the same impressions. So, I mean, I think I I don't know enough about Cecilio Dominguez's history to know if this is like specifically what he does, but I think this is kind of what you're going to get uh, of of him in MLS. I mean, it seems seems like part of it, and I'm very torn on this topic. And this actually came up when we did the uh, we did the live show at the W, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But one of the questions I got afterwards were like was, you know, do players in MLS dive like they do in, uh, like in Spain, in Italy? And I'm like, I mean, not normally, but we should talk about <laughs> Cecilio because he's a little bit of an outlier. Uh, yeah, so whenever I'm watching soccer with, like, my family or, like, people who don't follow soccer, and they'll always like, oh, they, they dive and they roll on the floor and all this. And I always tell those people, like, they're not weak. They're not sissies. They're, they're just cheaters. That's what, all it is. It, if there were a competitive advantage to diving in the NFL, NFL players would do it every game, multiple in NBA, times a game. There is in NBA, there is, and people do it all the time. Right yeah. there, there is a, so I, I like okay. If you want to criticize the action, fine, but don't say it's because they're soft or whatever. That's not the case. It's because they're cheaters. And <laughs> if I like diving has become a part of the game. Um, it gives you an, a competitive advantage. Uh, so if we have a player on our team who wants to try to do that, I'm not going to tell him not to. But there is kind of a diminishing returns on this, right? Like if you do it too many times, it becomes this boy who cried wolf situation. And so I think Cecilio is crossing that line now. He's going to be the boy who cried wolf. And a big chance is going to come up in a big game, a big moment. He's going to legitimately get fouled and go down and he's not going to get a call. And that's the thing that I'm worried about. Like the, like the, I don't know, the ethics of soccer or whatever, like diving, like that ship has sailed. This is part of the game now. You just have to be smart about it. And I don't know that Cecilio is being smart about it right now. Right. He hasn't gotten much advantage out of it. I mean, we like, we, we all watch CONCACAF Champions League and we love that, like just uh stuff housery right <laughs> this, this, this this is a part of you know and yeah so i'm i'm whatever yeah i think it's fine with it but i think you do need to use it sparingly i think you're right let's talk about the back line that's that's more it's more fun because i did not expect the beesler cascante pairing to do what they did against seattle yeah absolutely they were they were great wolf in the post-match press conference said they were quote absolutely fantastic and i i agree um really worked really good as a partnership. They kind of um, marked Rui Diaz out of the game, which is something that very few people do. He had very little involvement. I think that one shot, uh, maybe a couple of other half chances, but he did not, he, he was not nearly as involved in this game as he usually is in a Seattle game. And so I thought they did great there. Um, the fullbacks did not push up as high as they have been. So the, the wingers, the so Stroud and Gallagher were, were staying super wide. And I, I think that was intentional. So those wingers were going to give the width and the fullbacks stayed a little bit deeper, which what has happened in some of the games is those wingers will push inside and the fullbacks are giving the width, which is in theory is good for the attack, but it leaves your, your center backs exposed right on the, on the counter attack because we knew 
A, Seattle's very good on the counterattack, and B, they play it wide on the counterattack, playing it to those those wingbacks with uh, Smith and rolls on, that instead of doing that, they let the wingers be the width high, left the fullbacks a little bit deeper, and that way when they did break away on the uh, in transition, there were players there. And so they did a really good job of the fullback stepping to slow them down and either the midfielder or the winger kind of sandwiching them in and making them go backwards with the ball, which is what I was saying about the possession earlier. Seattle doesn't necessarily want to have the ball, but they want to just break fast and hit you on the counter like that. If you don't let them do it, they can hold the ball and they showed us that they, that they could do that, but it's not necessarily plan a, and so I think that's a big reason why they had a lot of the balls because we weren't allowing them to counter it and they had to go backwards and kind of recycle it, which, um, yeah, I, I think it's because of the defensive setup and, and the good work that the, um, the fullbacks and the, and the wings in the midfield did in, in that counter press. Yeah. I felt the center backs made like every decision was the right decision. And I mean, it'll be interesting when Romagna comes back now, almost a little bit like Cascante has been very good. You know, every minute he's been on the field, and then Beasler made what was like, he was like alternate MLS best eleven or something this week too. Yeah, he was on the bench of of like the team of the week, and so he made a lot of like really good kind of last minute, last ditch tackles and and cut out a few really dangerous balls. And then Cascante did the same thing and was also a pretty creative force from that back line. Split split some lines with passes and did some made some really smart moves. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Like when Romagna comes back, like does he step straight in to that back line? Does is there a chance Beasler gets dropped and you play Cascante and Romagna? I don't know. That, that's going to be really interesting to see. I think one of the things on on that with Beasler that'll give us a little bit of cover is we're going to get into the Austin playing two games a week, and I don't think anybody expects that. You know, I mean, we have like what we play on the nineteenth, twenty third, twenty seventh. I don't think I don't think anyone. Ex- can imagine like Matt Beasler's going to play all three of those matches. So some of that just by schedule congestion will probably work itself out. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, how, we already kind of mentioned. Yeah, sorry, we talked ahead. about Fagund. I was going to say we talked about Fagundes. You want to talk about Pochettino? Yeah, Pochettino. So um, I think this is another player that's kind of uh, dividing fan opinions at this point in time. He has not been a standout in any of the games so far. Uh, he's turned the ball over quite a few. I think he's turned the ball over more times than any player in most of our games so far. Um, Wolf in the post-match press conference said that uh, he's he still needs time to settle in the league. He's getting used to this really structured system that he's never played in before. Um, travel in MLS is bizarre. Like you don't, you don't get this in other countries. And so with COVID protocols, they've been flying in and flying out same day. And doing that every every five or six days, you don't do that in other countries. There's like Argentina is a pretty big country, and but you're still like doing a bus ride or something to most of the matches, and so it it is it's a hard thing to settle into. It takes some players longer than others. Um, I think some pe- I've seen some people remarking on Pochettino's attitude and kind of his body language on the field. Um, is that something you've noticed and do you have a, an opinion on that, Jeremiah? I have noticed that people react to it. I mean, I think the last <laughs> game, I think, I think the last game that was, that's, he seemed to be in like a bad state mentally, you know? I mean, but I think I had people saying like, well, he's ready to move back home and he's done with MLS, you know, yeah, after six that's... weeks, which is a little bit much, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he's frustrated, um, 
by that. And maybe this we'll talk about that. Uh, well, maybe we, we can talk about this about the Chris interview. If he, if there was a little more offensive talent coming in to support it, he might not support him in like kind of the style of play. Um, he might not quite quite be as frustrated by it. But yeah, man, I think I think you see it. But I don't think it's like affecting his game too much. I mean, he's still working hard. He's still showing up. He's still putting in the effort. Yeah, and that's that's something I wanted to point out. Is like if if he were so we have seen him like throw his hands in the air and kind of like slump his shoulders. And if he were doing that and then like walking back down the field, I would have a big problem with that. But he's he's still putting in a shift every game. He's working super hard, very involved in the press, very involved in defending, still working super hard. And so I think there are times when he's like maybe doing a little bit too much, trying to be a little bit too cute and gives the ball away when really there's a simple pass he could have made or maybe just could have been a bit more careful um, and could have like prevented some really simple, like silly turnovers. Um, but like Wolf said that his attitude is still good. He's working really hard. You see that on the field. He's still working really hard. I'm not like, I don't know if anybody is, but I've not given up on Pochettino yet. I think whenever the team starts to gel, we get uh, a couple of more dangerous players in there around him. I think he's, I, I still have a lot of hope that he's going to be a very good player in this league because you see it in bursts, right? He does little things that are like, oh, he might be the most talented player on our team right now, right? Um, he hasn't turned that into anything and hasn't done it for a full game, but you see it every once in a while. And so I, I think it's still going to, it's going to click at some point. Yeah, I feel this, I feel the same way too. Um, and one other player we should talk about is our starting, I guess, starting number nine, Danny. Houston. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, so I didn't know he didn't travel at first. I was like, just saw the, the list, you know, and I was like, Oh, when he's not even in the 18, that's super weird. But apparently he did not travel with the team. We didn't hear, we didn't get that news till after the match. Is that right? Right. Yeah. The um, 18 comes out. He's not on the list. And then in the post-match press conference, um, Josh Wolf says that uh, his hip was bothering him. And so it didn't make sense for him to fly and then play on turf. Uh, he he seemed convincing in that answer. But do, are are we buying that? Do you think that's the case? I think they're reasons to have questions about it how about that is that that vague enough i mean it's it's not something that's come up before i feel like any any injury or any knock or anything we've known about we've heard about during the week so if this hip injury that Houston had is not something that has come up before which makes me question a little bit how about you yeah i'm kind of in the same in the same boat i mean if it were a player in a great situation that had reason to be happy right now, then maybe we'd take Wolf at his word and say, yeah, he's, I'm sure he's just injured. And even though he is not that player that I just described and is maybe does have reason to be a little bit upset right now, um, he very well could be injured. Maybe we're making uh, a big deal out of nothing, but it, uh, it is still a very curious situation to not have heard anything about an injury, and then he's just not there on game day. So we'll uh, definitely be keeping an eye on that and seeing if we get any more more news in the coming week. Yeah, so this this will come out on Tuesday. We should. I would expect that that will be addressed by Josh on the press conference. Yeah. Today, or when, whenever you, ha- if you listen to it when it comes out today, but whenever it might be. Um, anything else you want to talk about for Seattle, or you want to move on to some other news? Um, I think just like in in summary, like 
I think that's a a solid workmanlike performance to to grind out a result whenever you need to. It's good to to know that Austin has that in their bag because we've not gotten any draws. We've not. I, I think maybe Minnesota was was kind of our a grindy win that we got. Um, so it's good to see that they can do that against what many consider to be the best team in the league right now. So. Uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of positives to be taking out of that. Another positive is they don't play this coming weekend, so kind of that that road road grind will they'll get a little bit of break from that and get a weekend off and have time to kind of prepare a little bit more for the game against Kansas City on the 12th. So uh, I, I think that's going to be they'll they'll be feeling positive about that result against Seattle, and then also with this rest, hopefully they'll be coming back to to play against Kansas city with some energy and then bringing some energy into that home opener on the 19th. Yeah. It gives you, I guess at the most simple level, it gives us hope that we're not FC Cincinnati. Like I feel like Cincinnati, <laughs> yeah. Cincinnati would have gone and gotten blown out in that game again. So at least we're a credible, credible threat as an expansion team. I think that performance definitely backs that up. Yeah. And I think our interview coming up shortly with Chris Bills will also give listeners hope that we are not FC Cincinnati. And I think that's going to be pretty evident with a lot of the information coming out from Claudio Reyna this week. Uh, All let's right. talk, you want to talk a little schedule. So, or I'll talk a little schedule. Yeah. So the, Por- the Portland match, which was originally going to be on July 3rd, is now going to move, going to be moved to July 1st to accommodate national TV. So it's another chance to get another, uh, national game in front of a big audience which apparently i think that should be a good one too you know portland um it's off to a decent start always pretty good uh and then we also found out that the june 19th match which is the home opener is going to be nationally broadcast on univision but also locally it will be on kxan in english so we'll get adrian well i guess we won't on the rewatch we'll get adrian and mike <laughs> doing doing the match live we'll be in the stadium so that that was cool to hear yeah do you know how many national tv games we have so far or have scheduled so far i haven't it was at eight at one point but i haven't counted um since it seems then. like so, a lot though right yeah it feels like a lot of things are moving around so we're creating a lot of excitement which is good it's a good spot to be in again not fc cincinnati absolutely uh another little piece of exciting news that we got during the the week and i think this came out in the uh the chris bills piece that we're gonna talk about in the interview in a bit uh but freddie Kleeman was brought back from loan he played one match in Birmingham, <laughs> and then uh, after Romagna's injury, if Romagna wasn't able to play, that leaves us with two center backs, period. And so I was pretty nervous about that last week, and so I was pretty happy to see Kleeman uh, get recalled. So he actually traveled with the team. His family uh, went to the game. We're posting pictures, and I thought that was pretty cute. Um yeah, and but his yeah. mom like his mom said it wasn't just the two of them, but they brought reinforcements. I think it was like his whole family. They were like yeah, six it a, or yeah, it's a, a big, big group of Clemens. <laughs> um, so also there with I don't think she was sitting with the Clemens, but in the stadium with the Clemens, Clemens was Roma Desai, who has now been to every Austin FC match. Yeah, that's pretty great. And I think maybe even after the game, Brad Stuver pointed at her and like <laughs> yeah. pointed out that she had, she had been. Like every single match. So I think very the proud quote was uh, the the reported quote. I think this is Derek Ensign reporting. This was it's you again every f-ing game, <laughs> yeah, exactly. which is makes me love both Roma and Brad even more than I already do. <laughs> That's true. So travel brings up something too. Um, in that 
uh, Katie inside has been organizing a lot of travel, and I don't know what game they didn't make because I feel like she's only missed maybe one or something, right? Um, it was the game last week they didn't go to. Okay. And then in Minnesota, it was just Katie. Derek okay. did not okay, go. Cool. So Kate, Katie's only been, on, been out on one, but this is really a benefit of joining a supporters group um, is you get to travel with a lot of awesome fans of common interest and meet players and family and like have a good time. And we've both been on this trip. So uh, I would highly encourage you if you're not, if you're not a member to sign up because you know, now you get that. Um, and I know that they're like organizing trips for Minnesota again for sporting KC and, um, and for FC Dallas and that Frisco trip should be a big one. So shout out to Katie for making all those uh, arrangements happen. And if you're not going on the road and following the team, like it's a pretty great experience. Yeah, and we've had a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of people in town who want tickets to a home game who might not be able to get them at this point. Right. And so the best way to, to find things like that is to know people who have them. Like instead of getting on like a second, like a, a third party market or something, buying them for, five times marked marked up if you know people with season tickets or in on these like ticket trading uh ticket trading threads and stuff like that that's probably going to be your best way to get tickets and so that's another reason to join a supporters group um i think a lot of people most people listening to this show i think would know but um it's not like it's not like the hooligan culture you see on on like some bad movies starring elijah wood it's like it's a very inclusive atmosphere. There's a lot of energy, but it's also there's a spot for you, right? Like take a look at the different the different groups, find a place that that fits you because there's going to be one. And then once you're in that community, and it is a community, it's a, a people a group of people who really do look out for each other, help each other, kind of promote each other's um each other's work and like uh are involved in each other's lives at this point. And then the added bonus of being in a community like that is if someone has tickets available, you're going to know about it first. And then if you want to go to one of these away matches, you're going to know about it first and have access to buy these tickets first. So yeah, definitely a, a good reason to to join one of these communities for sure. And another good opportunity that came up uh, this last Tuesday was I think up to 500 people got to do song and chant practice in the stadium. And Matthew McConaughey showed up and led that practice or led part of the practice, led some chants which is, was like a really, really cool, amazing thing that people got to do that that you wouldn't get to do otherwise if you weren't a part of it. And I know that was last Tuesday, and I believe there's another one this Tuesday, and I don't know what the plans are, but it seems like there's going to be lots of good chances to be in a part of that uh, in-stadium environment before the season even starts. And it's yeah. another really good reason to join. Can't guarantee McConaughey will be there at the next one, but I went to the, the one the week before where there was only 100 people, and that was like, that experience gave me chills, so... I can't even imagine what it would be like five times that with all those people in there singing together. And then when that first game comes, it's going to be 10 times that. Right. So, uh, yeah, get in on that if you can. And, uh, yeah, join one of these communities. Cause it's been a very positive part of the last few years of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so why we, we're not at the one on Tuesday and it's cause we were hanging out at the W hotel, um, with Adrian Healy and, a uh, Trevor Scott and a group of people, but that was a fun event. It really overall. was. It was great. And, oh, um, and shout, shout out to Julie Fisher, Luke Martinez, and Celso Baez, who managed to do both. So yeah. they came, <laughs> came to the W, uh, quickly parted ways, and like went to song and chant practice and managed to make like the, the most Austin FC Tuesday possible. 
so we got some other information about um, beer selections and beer prices at the stadium this week, Jeremiah. Can you give us some of the details about that? Yeah, one of the things at, at the stadium on Tuesday was that they had all the signage up uh, for like the um, Bardoseki's, along with the, the food and beer prices for that. So people posted some photos. People were very, very upset about the pricing on the beer. Did you? But I mean, what did you think about that? Do you have an opinion? I it seemed it's like what I expected. Like, I don't know, beer at sporting events is expensive. It's probably going to be giant though. So, um, I don't know. I. I think this is another thing that I, this has happened several times in the course of this show, but things that I was like a little bit surprised that people were surprised by. Yeah, I'm fine. And if you're going to have uh, $15, I think it's like $15, 24-ounce Dos Equis is probably what that is going to be. Soccer is the perfect game for that because oh, yeah. because the game never stops. And so you never have time to get up and go to a beer line as opposed to being at like a four-hour college football game where I might, I might make five beer runs, but like you're going to get a beer... Before the game, you might get a beer at halftime, and you're going to be like on your way. So I think it'll probably be okay pricing wise. Now, um, the the other thing we learned was I don't remember who posted this, but somebody posted a photo from the beer hall of the tap wall. Um, it was the Twitter. hop squad. The hop squad guys. Oh, the hop squad guys did okay. And so there are only four, I think, true local craft beer options at the beer hall: Circle Blur, Pint House Electric Jellyfish. Thirsty Planet, Thirsty Goat, and Fourth Tap, Black Pumas uh, beer. Um, and then also Eastsiders have one, but we knew that because Eastsiders is an official partner. So how do you feel about the beer selection? So, I mean, again, like, I'm only going to order one or two of these. Like, just from a, a, a standpoint of, like, supporting local, like, local businesses and promoting local businesses, I would like to see more. One question I did have, though, is do we think this is actually the final tap list? Is there a chance that this is what's going to be available for that women's national team game? And then there will probably be more rotation after that? Or do we think this is the list and that's it? Well, in the spirit of wanting to overreact to things, I'm going to say it's the final list and nothing could ever change. And therefore, I'm going to be <laughs> upset about it. But I, I would not think that the beer hall tap list would rotate. But we don't we don't have any reason to... Um, believe in that and I say that's like a fairly disappointing for the beer hall but also we don't know that that's the only place they're going to have craft beer in the stadium too is in the beer hall so I do hold out some hope based upon a tweet from Zilker Brewing today because that's where we get all our news these days maybe <laughs> yesterday um, is that there may be some other places around the stadium that have more local craft beer um, and who knows you know maybe there was going to be you know no taps or one tap before fans sort of express their opinions that I would say you know uh what do you say? Shop with your feet or whatever. Like buy all yeah. the local craft beer. Don't buy the other stuff. People will learn, and maybe it will change. Yeah, but the truth is, these macro brewers are what most of the people in the stadium are going to be buying, right? So, like, I don't know. I I understand why people are a little bit upset about it, but I also understand why it's still going to be a small portion of it because that's what they're going to sell is the other stuff, and so. That's fair. Everybody, everybody can't be as educated as us, <laughs> or have as good a taste. Sorry, Brian Mangum. I, I know <laughs> that that st- sentence I just said hurt your heart, but it's true. <laughs> so, I wrote one more note in here on the Austin FC news, and that is our friend Tom Webb, um, Austin FC. I don't even remember, I don't even remember what his title is. Like broadcast uh, senior and, vice president of PR and communications, PR I think. Yeah, 
So he he announced on I guess Instagram and Facebook today that his Austin FC adventure is over and he starts a new one on June first. So that would be Tuesday, I believe. And so TBD on that. But uh, Tom has been very helpful in like getting us connected with interviews, stadium. I think like team team employees and players and all that, and easy to work with and. That's a very good attitude and British way of telling us when we're wrong, um, but, but very kindly. And so we will miss Tom and hope that whoever they bring in uh, is equally as is kind. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back with uh, that interview we mentioned with Chris Bills. Like we said, it's, he sat down with Claudio Reyna for, I think, like a half hour interview and got a lot of information out of it. Um, he released one article last week with some of this information and then... Uh, as you're listening to this, either today or tomorrow, a, a second part of that with even more information is going to come out. So definitely be on the lookout for that. But we're going to kind of pick Chris's brain about that article. So we'll have that for you right after the break. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, we are happy to be joined by Chris Bills of the Striker Texas, who uh, has been traveling since 5 a.m. this morning. Is that right, Chris? 5 a.m. Pacific, so do the math, I guess, uh, <laughs> But which I'm not able to do at this moment. So, yeah, it's been a long day. Well, thanks for, being, LA, thanks for being a trooper and, yeah. uh, and doing this with us. <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe I died on the first flight and LAX was hell, but... <laughs> Turn, turns out turns out I'm, I'm here i made it uh well we wanted to talk to you about the interview you did with claudio reyna that you released part of on the striker texas website last week um i guess tell us a little bit just uh how how that interview came about and when we can expect the second part of it yeah um that interview so i talked to claudio i guess on thursday last week uh you know how these things go. I was, I've been trying to get him for a while and I thought the timing actually ended up working out uh, really well. I don't think that was by accident. Uh, right. I mean, I think it was a good time for him to sort of maybe, um, you know, give people a little bit of hope and, and sort of uh, talk about what the summer summer is going to hold for Austin FC. And um, you know, I thought it was really interesting talking to him that I think what you guys and some of the fans on Twitter and, you know, just in some sort of Slack conversations, I know I've sort of been speculating about how many roster spots Austin FC could use this summer and what the potential mechanisms they could, uh, you know, we can get deeper into this, but, you know, I think that whatever you guys were throwing out as like the best case scenario is sort of, that seems to be how Claudia's wheels are turning, right? Is like, we have all this potential roster spend. Let's see, you know, if we can get the right players lined up and then, um, you know, at that point, it's going to come down to how much money the ownership's willing to spend. But, you know, he seemed pretty um, adamant that he's gotten good support or the team has, has got good support there and that they want to go out and make some splashes uh, in the summer and, and 
that this is not the this is not the full squad, right? This is the, the struggles that we've seen the last few weeks are, you know, due to obviously the pieces, you know, on the field and, you know, some of it's, you know, tactics and, you know, Alex Ring's red card and all that stuff, but also, you know, <clears throat> you're on the road, you've had a bunch of injuries and you're planning on adding, you know, a number 10 and potentially a number nine that aren't on the team yet. So, you know, I don't think it should be any surprise when you sort of hear him kind of explain it that way that they've kind of struggled out of the gates here. And I think that it actually should be, you know, a really good sign that not only are they going to go home, but they might have a few, you know, attacking pieces to, to join the squad by, you know, say mid July or so. There's, I've seen a few people online and talking to people in person who are maybe getting a little bit impatient with how the squad is looking right now. And understandably because there's some spots that are pretty thin and then we've been pretty pretty weak in the attack so far but if you've been listening to what claudio has been saying since before the season started this was always the plan right it was to wait until until the summer to add these spots and so he said it before and he said it to you in this interview that they're essentially evaluating the pieces they have now if maybe one of those one of the guys they already have steps up and they say okay we don't actually need to add anybody in this spot um, I don't know that any of the spots they're looking at have necessarily done that, but they know now, right? Like they know that that's exactly where they need it. Uh, and I, maybe some people were a little bit uh, maybe doing some wishful thinking and thinking that adding pieces in the summer meant adding pieces in late May. But it's almost definitely right. like we're recording this <laughs> in the night of May 31st and the transfer window closes tomorrow, right? So it's almost definitely going to be in July at this point. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the thing with, uh, you know, I understand the impatience totally. Like, um, you know, you're watching this team on the field as it's structured and as it's put together, these, these games count. Right. But I think that that's the thing that Claudia Reyna has been very patient all along. I mean, I think that, um, you know, that they only had Cecilio and Rodney signed until what, like late December, that was the only two players on the roster. And, um, you know, I think it was, it was really interesting talking to him then of how, just how patient, you know, there's never any panic with Claudio. It doesn't seem like he, he has a plan, he sticks to it. And this was the plan, like you said, to wait until the summer. And I don't think anything's, anything's going to steer him away from that. Um, you know, just because of a string of better results, I, I don't think he's in a hurry to spend a bunch of money, you know, say somewhere in Mexico where you could get a player, um, <clears throat> right now, but you know, the prices seem to be high down there and, um, you know, whether it's, you know, inflated artificially or because, you know, because that's the other thing I think that teams know that Austin's looking and, and has money to spend. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see exactly how this comes together because, you know, as you guys are, I'm sure well aware of, and, you know, Anthony Precourt was at the airport, you know, a couple of weeks ago, go to Nashville and talking about how they, you know, they missed on a DP that they were trying to get and stuff like that. So, you know, clearly there's targets that they're, they're going after. And now it's just a matter of, you know, ownership being willing to spend, but also being willing to pull the trigger and say, this is our guy uh, and feeling confident in that. I think that's the big thing is it's not just about spending the money. It's about spending it wisely and spending it on somebody that you feel confident fits the system and, you know, fits the style that the Josh wants to plays. And, you know, to their credit, that's one thing they, I think they do have is they have very clear, um, you know, Claudio said 20 to 26 years old. He said, you know, attacking midfielder and, um, you know, one other attacker, which to me, probably a forward. And so the age profile, I think any of us who have been, you know, sort of watching the team, you can sort of picture what those, 
pieces that are, you know, what they're trying to do right now with the players that they have now, and maybe where, you know, what the prof- profile of a player that might fit well. And we can sort of, you know, talk about that. I think that's one of the things I want to do uh, this week with the striker is have you guys sort of pitch in some names and me pitch in some names and some of the other folks that we have pitch in some names of who we think might be good targets. But um, yeah, it's really interesting to start thinking about that in those terms of 20 to 26 years old uh, forward, maybe, you know, an attacking midfielder, and then probably some kind of defender that I would guess would either come from within the league or be some kind of domestic profile. But yeah, it's, it's, we know what they're, what they're after. I just got to go get it done. Did, did he talk to you about the challenges of, I mean, the market, because anybody that they're after that's going to be worth getting, there are other people that want to acquire too, and then there are selling teams that know we have money. So I would imagine, you know, it's not even just, I mean, it's like a range of targets at this point, right? Until they find the guy. Did you talk about that? Yeah, no, he did mention that, that, you know, the, basically what he was saying is the better the prospect, the higher, you know, the higher the price and the more people, um, you know, are after those players. And so that's where, even if you're being competitive and you're willing to spend money, you might not be as willing to spend as much money as, you know, say say a team in Mexico or South America might be willing to spend just because the budget restrictions or, you know, whatever it is. Um, So I think that's one aspect of things. I think also, you know, being on the early end of the window, obviously, you know, the the selling teams kind of have the leverage there. Um, So I wouldn't be, and we talk about how patient he is. I wouldn't be surprised if one or more of those signings goes a little bit later than maybe they even want it to. Um, But I don't think they'll be afraid to kind of wait for the guy that they want or, you know, as we saw with like Cecilia Dominguez, I mean, these rumors kind of start sparking up and clearly there's some negotiation that's still happening there. And uh, they've, you know, I think both with Pochettino too, you know, we kind of knew that that was coming, but it was like the initial numbers that came out were not the final numbers. Right. So I think that they've been very, they've stuck to the plan and what they want and uh, they know where they can, sort of bargain somebody down but i think that's the danger of a situation where you know you guys can mention the name but you know we think there's a striker in mexico that they were probably after that you know ended up resigning with his club so it's those are the kinds of things that can happen when you're sort of waiting and negotiating and you know somebody thinks that that player is worth more and you think he's worth less and all of a sudden he's gone so I think they've got to be a little bit more willing to open up the the books if they want to, which I think they do. I think they want to sign somebody of a higher profile than Cecilia Dominguez. So that's where it becomes, okay, if you find the guy that you want, pull the trigger before he's gone. Yeah, I so, kind of forgot about that. One thing I was going to add, Land, I think we were, by the time we actually signed both Cecilia and Pochettino, like we, were, we were tired of talking about him because we had done all the rumors. <laughs> you had watched the videos, right? By the time the signings came, they were sort of just an unknown commodity, which... We haven't gotten that kind of intelligence really around anybody else um, yeah, exactly. in this window yet. So there's, you also got some information about um, maybe some the the specific types of players they're looking for. Not only from Claudio, but you you report in the story that a source in Mexico uh, told you that they're looking for an attacking midfielder and a forward. Between that source and your conversation with Claudio, do you have an idea of which one would be? The designated player and which one would be potentially like a, a young money spot or is is that all kind of up in the air well i mean i think it is totally plausible that they could bring in two designated players right um but i do think that claudio wants to use he, he mentions this in the piece but he said that you know 
a young designated player would allow them to have a little bit more flexibility both this year and moving forward. Um, so, I, you know, I do think that, you know, and, and what he's talking about there is the young money spots and, you know, how many, you know, sort of, of those spots they, they would have available based on. Um, <clears throat> and again, we know that Tomas Pochettino helps them with that right now. But what he's saying and what he said in the piece, because I asked him about like those different options, like, you know, you could sign, you know, it seems like you could sign two uh, more designated players or you could sign, you know, a young designated player or you could sign, you know, TAM player or you could, you know, maybe, you know, create some, you know, exactly. That's how they how they could sign two. You're asking, or like you're probably thinking if you're not like deep in the weeds like Landon and Jeremiah are, are how could they sign two more designated players? They already have two, you know, don't be like inner Miami. But like it's <laughs> in so it's, many ways, Chris, not, so not it, just it, in this. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, in order for Austin FC to sign two more designated players, they would need to buy down Tomas Pochettino with Tam and make him a Which Tam is totally player. doable, right? Right. It's totally doable on his salary. And I think his transfer fee was like 2.5 million, but we think for over four years. Um, I think they definitely got enough Tam in the bank to, to do that. So that would open up a, a situation where you could. And again, I, I, I emphasize that these aren't the things that Claudio told me, but sort of reading between the lines of what he's thinking, it sounds like they do want to use a designated player spot on number 10, and then they want some sort of young uh, attacking player. So that could be a U22 signing, or it could be a young DP, depending on how old the number 10 is that they bring in. Because if they bring in a, you know, a number 10 that is a designated player, but is over uh, 24, then all of a sudden that doesn't fit the need that... I think he sees of having a young designated player to, you know, fit all those different spots. Again, this is really in the weed stuff, yeah, but so I think this, I, is, I think I can, I got the feeling that Claudio is sort of processing this, the same in, in all the, like, he's got all those, all those options on the table. And now it's a matter of the puzzle pieces coming together once. Okay. The first domino falls, here's, you know, the plan we're going to go after. So I, I would assume that they've got, you know, like they did all along, they've got a list of names and prof under the profiles that they want. So they've got, you know, probably a number 10 list and a number nine list, and then maybe a center back list. And, you know, they're sort of checking those off as they go. They've probably got a one a that they want. And then if they get that guy, then it kind of dictates the rest of the plan. Um, that's kind of how I would imagine they're sort of going about this. But uh, the good thing is they have a lot of flexibility and I think that is where if they pull this off and I stress that, I mean, if is carrying a lot of weight there, but if they pull this off, I think it could easily, you know, depending on how much money they want to spend and depending on how those players perform could be one of the better expansion builds that we've seen in modern MLS. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be the level of Atlanta United um, and LAFC just because of raw spend, but it's possible. I mean, we, this is the moment I think that we actually learn how big of a club Austin you know, they say one, they want to be a big club, but now we're going to learn what does that mean? You know, because they've got the Academy set up. They've obviously, obviously spent money on infrastructure, um, but they haven't really spent big on a player in the transfer window. So I don't know We're we're going to find out, I think a little bit about where this team sits right now, as far as, you know, in the hierarchy of MLS teams spending, and then it's about performance on the field and execution. So I'm going to, like you said, we are spending a lot of time in the weeds and throwing around a lot of terms. To, so the scenario that would open up the most high-end roster spots for us, and tell me if I get any of this wrong, would be 
uh, buying down Tomas Pochettino with Tam, making him a Tam player, that would leave us with two free DP slots open. We could then sign a really high-profile guy, higher profile than Cecilio. If we use that third spot on a young designated player, which is 23 years or younger, that would then allow us to continue, uh, give us access to three U22 initiative or young money slots. Um, and so that's why it would be important that if we want to keep those young money slots, that one of those two new designated players would need to be a young designated player or someone else who could be bought down with Tim. Yes. I think that's, I think that's all right. Um, and the one thing that, you know, about the source from Mexico that I was talking to is like, it sounds like yeah, the MLS or not, not the MLS, the league MX market has been on notice that Austin's looking for two different designated player profiles. So I guess you could take that to mean that they're, you know, they're shopping for, you know, one designated player, but there's two kinds of profiles they could fit. But right. I, the way that they kind of worded it was that they're looking for a number 10 designated player and they're looking for a number nine designated player who's younger um so that could you know obviously mean a young money spot i don't know how educated the mexican market is on you know the distinctions between those things i, I assume they they are fairly educated with the amount of movement happening between those those two leagues but you know if you get a you know a guy who's 24 or younger there's a lot of different places they could fit based on you know how high profile they are or, or exactly how old they are so uh, i think to me, that's what it sounds like is they're, they're sort of looking for a higher profile number 10 to sort of play alongside Tomas Pochettino, um, you know, in front of Alex Ring. And then a, a number nine who's maybe not as high profile as what fans sort of want from that number nine spot right now. Because, like, I think that's the thing, like, that's the most obvious need that we see on the roster. But I think that Claudio and Josh, and I think it sort of, in, again, informs what their vision is for this thing that – they also see a hole in, in midfield, um, which the midfield seems to be performing okay. But again, that chance creation, you know, all of a sudden, if you, instead of having to think about where you want to put Cecilia, do you want to put him at one of those 10, number 10 spots? Do you want to put him at the number nine where he, he looked pretty good on, on Sunday night? All of a sudden, if you have a guy who's, you know, of his skill level or profile to fit into that number nine and, uh, you know, number eight, number 10 spot. You're not asking those questions about Cecilia anymore. He's all of a sudden has time and space on the left wing and can kind of cut inside and play the way he wants. So right. I think that's long-term and maybe that's why Cecilia has been playing so long on the left wing um, when maybe they could have moved him inside is because I think that Josh Wolf maybe wants to keep him out there. Um, and so trying to get him more minutes out there and uh, now, you know, it seems to be kind of a need. Um, but I, again, I'm rambling because I'm on very little sleep and have been going for too long. So please stop me. I, I want to go back to one of the w one point you made was maybe one of the like this this forward position being a younger player and maybe not be a big exciting name that a lot of people are looking for. Which is uh, when this Ake Loba rumor came out, twenty uh, three twenty three year old striker for uh, Monterey. I, at first, I was like, that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense if that's like the one guy they're going after, because right. he he would he would meet the requirements to be a young DP. He would. But we if those are the three designated players, then we don't necessarily need that spot to be a young DP. But it makes a lot more sense when you're looking at it in the context of, OK, they're going to add a high profile guy and this young DP, which in that case I would honestly be, I watched some video of Ake Loba last week and I'd be pretty happy with that mm -hmm. signing. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that that makes sense in the context of, you know, both, you know, what Claudio is saying and what that source of Mexico is saying is like, okay, Loba sort, sort of fits that profile. But again, I think it's about the puzzle pieces and the dominoes. Right. So maybe there's got to be one other guy that they signed before they, you know, sign him or, you know, maybe they have a few guys that, you know, they're sort of waiting to line up. So again, it's hard to really go too in depth about what we, who we think they're after without knowing, you know, more of the rumors. And I think that'll come like that'll come, but I think we can sort of be fairly informed knowing that all of these options that we thought might be on the table are all like Claudio's thinking about it sort of in the same way right. the, that you and I have been. Those things like of. actually are options and not just like conspiracy theories that we came up with, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> I was thinking another basic thing from this article is that if we if we do add three players, one of them has to be domestic, right? Because we only have two international slots left. And I assume there's yep. there's no way around that, is there? You can buy more spots. Yeah, I mean, they could trade for a spot, I guess, um, which... The interesting thing about that too, and I realize that we're kind of doing this live here, but um, I thought it was interesting that he said that there's only two international spots, but according to like the MLS roster page, they only have five, but I think that is Pereira. Do we assume that he's international? Cause he's not listed that way. I've been, on... I've been told he's an international, even though he is not listed yeah. that way um, on, okay. on, okay. on the so that, website or whatever. Yeah. So that checks out with what Claudio is saying as well, that the, they have two spots left internationally. Um, were there any other highlights from the interview that you, that you want to cover? Yeah, sure. I mean, the whole Q and A is going to come out um, sometime this week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think, you know, there was a lot of meaty stuff in that first part, but there's quite a lot of other stuff that we covered. I mean, I talked to him about Brad Stuver and sort of their history together. I talked to him about Danny Pereira and, you know, why they, you know, thought so highly of, of him and what they've sort of thought of his start to his career. Uh, I asked him about homegrowns, which I thought was really interesting uh, part of the discussion. Uh, Cause I, you know, I saw a couple of the Academy kids actually training out with the first team. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're sort of, starting those kids very early and Claudio had some interesting thoughts about, you know, why that is and, and, you know, what that sort of means for their plan moving forward. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit in there, you know, obviously, you know, we put out the stuff about Manchester city, which I'm sure Claudia was sort of, uh, hurting on Saturday after that match, <laughs> uh, probably maybe even a little more than I was, uh, getting off that flight in Seattle. And, you know, I thought that they'd have a Premier League or Premier League uh, Champions League tro trophy to go with the Premier League trophy. But, uh, you know, that's kind of that was kind of a fun part of the conversation is like I've followed uh, City since like 2006. And, you know, Claudio uh, is very clearly, you know, very engaged and, uh, you know, still following that club really closely. I think his kids are, too. So that's kind of that's kind of a fun aspect of things. Um yeah, I, it was just a, a really, you know, good discussion. And, uh, you know, you'll see in there that you know, Claudio, he has a way of really, you know, getting all his thoughts out on whatever topic you ask him about. So, you know, he didn't hold back on anything. It's been, I, I think, one thing that I took away from the first part, uh, the first article that you uh, published the other day was, that I, I again, like I think some optimism comes from it, right? Like the things we're hoping they're going to do, it looks like they are doing, but also it seems like him and Josh are speaking more candidly these days. And like mm -hmm. Josh Wolf seems to be, uh, there's a, a, a particularly feisty press call last week, but then 
Um, we talked about on the show a lot before the season started how Josh and Claudio essentially are very good at giving like a paragraph long answer that says nothing at all. And it seems like they're they're being a little less cagey these days, which is kind of kind of nice. It makes me think that they're very confident in their plan and like they're fine with where things are right now, even with, and I think that that is maybe what we saw from Josh last week and what we, you know, what I kind of experienced with Claudio last week is that I think that there is a little bit of sensitivity around how impatient a certain section of people are right now and whether it's the fans or whether it's just, you know, the fact that they did lose these three games in a row and they know that the conversation that happens when you lose three games in a row in this league and, but they're not panicked because they know what's around the corner. Uh, and the fact that they get home games, the fact that, you know, they're still kind of figuring out what their best lineup is and the fact that they think that they're going to spend a bunch of money this summer and we're going to see how true that is. But um, you know, I think that that sort of informs maybe, you know, why we saw what we did last week from Josh and, you know, why Claudio chose, chose now as a time to, you know, be very open in an interview with me when, you know, like I always say, like, I don't, I'm never entitled to that. Right. Like it's good when it happens. And I'm really glad that he did it with us at the striker Texas. Um, and hopefully that, you know, the response to that, you know, allows more of those, those interviews to happen because I think it's great for the fans. And I think it's, you know, it can be really good for the club when, um, you know, when that stuff gets out there. Yeah, right. I think it made, it made all of us a little more patient in our little, in our text group, <laughs> just to know that there was some hope that those things were actually going to happen. All right. Well, uh, this has been fantastic, Chris. Uh, we can't wait for the rest of the, the, uh, conversation to come out and that should uh, this episode is going to be out on Tuesday. I think that that article is going to publish Tuesday or Wednesday. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We're still working on, um, you know, how early I crash and go to bed tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but soon. I'll, uh, As you're yeah, listening to yeah. this, it's going to be soon. Yeah, yeah. I got it all all typed out on the plane and everything. So, uh, yeah. And I, I really enjoyed listening back to it because there's even some stuff in there that I had kind of... Oh, we talked about the loans, too. And so you really get a kind of a glimpse into why they picked Memphis oh, and Birmingham nice. for, for Freddie and, um, you know, uh, Freddie Scott. So that, that was... Again, it's kind of nerd stuff, but oh, I think I, it's good to hear from the source. Yeah, I can't wait to read all of that. All right, we'll, we'll <laughs> let you go to bed now, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. We'd like to thank Chris Bills one more time for joining us after a, a long, hard day of travel. Um, and like I said, check out that that next part of the article that's going to be out this week. Should be some really great information in that. We'd like to remind you once again to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us grow our uh, our reach to new listeners. Uh, again, also, if you meet someone who's interested in Austin FC and you like our show, let them know about it. They might like it too. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been leaving us reviews. I got the cards printed today, bought envelopes. Uh, as soon as I get stamps, we're going to get those in the mail and then, um, find us on social media. I'm at LV hero 87. Jeremiah is at J Bentley underscore ATX. And then you can find, uh, the moon tower accounts at moon tower soccer, both on Twitter and Instagram. 
And then visit the Striker Texas website where you can find the article that we just mentioned by Chris Bills. I think that's probably the best one to point him to this week, huh? Yeah, that's a very good one. And uh, and shout out to our friend Phil Phil West too, who's done a pretty good job of adding uh, a weekly column, just kind of on general MLS with Phil like observations uh, and some good data at the same time too. So I've really enjoyed picking up on those articles also. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for listening again. We will be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we're going to cover some more Austin FC news, whatever happens between now and then. We're not going to have a game next week. So um, I think we're going to have our friend and uh, friend and soccer analyst, Chris Wilhousen, on the show to just kind of give another state of the team, uh, state of the team address and just kind of take a moment to look at the team and and where we feel comfortable, who we think uh, needs replacing, who we're happy with and all of that during these, uh, the first seven matches that have passed. So we'll be back soon. Until then I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. No one is around.